this will strip all the fun and pleasure and romance out of your sex life. So that's number one. That is normal. So do not despair if that's happened to you. It's normal. This puts so much pressure on being intimate because it's no longer just about having fun and connecting. It's about a tangible. And so if you aren't getting what you want, if you're getting negative pregnancy tests each time, you're you're just feeling like a failure upon a failure. It puts so much stress and pressure. Been There Injected That is a TMI podcast about going through infertility and all the hormone injections, awkward moments, and nervous breakdowns along the way. I'm Elise Ash. Hello, welcome to this episode of Been There Injected That. Today, our guest is Rena Gower, who is a licensed social worker and fertility warrior herself. She's based out of New York City, and she offers therapy services for individuals and couples to support their journey through fertility towards parenthood. So thank you so much for being here today, Rena. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. This is so formal. I feel like Rena and I are usually just chatting <laughs> I know. on the phone or via DM on Instagram. And so it's nice to have you as a formal guest on the podcast. I know. I feel a little bit nervous. Do you really? No, you don't. Kind you do of. this all the time. Kind of. Well, I know, but my normal, you know, relationship with you is we're very informal. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're really like, hey, what did you think of that Lena Dunham article? It's kind of intense, <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Before I post anything, I'm like, Reno, how does this sound? Does this sound <laughs> okay? <laughs> Am I coming on a little too hot? Because sometimes I can do that. So, Rena, wondering if you can please introduce yourself, uh, your name, where you live, and a little bit about your job. Yes. So my name is Rena Gower, as you said, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker in LCSW, and I am based in New York City. And I love the title of your podcast because I not only am in this field professionally, but I have also been there injected that personally. So my daughter is four, and I had her after about two years of going through infertility, going through the whole round of IUIs, chemical pregnancies, IVFs, et cetera, et cetera. And I always say I spent the first year super isolated and alone. Then I realized I was trying to create a life, but I was no longer living one. So I decided mm-hmm. to get really involved with Resolve. I didn't have any insurance coverage, so I got very active in lobbying for insurance change in the state of New York. And then I started connecting with other people going through it, being a little bit more vocal about my struggle and that changed everything for me. And then after my daughter was born, I transitioned over to specializing in fertility counseling and working with people going through this since I don't ever want anyone to feel how I felt um, because it was very deep and dark and and horrible. And I, I just, I see it all too frequently. Why did you originally decide to become a social worker and mental health expert? Did you always know you wanted to work in this field? No, not at all. Originally, um, I was actually a textiles and apparel major in college. I went to Cornell, but I graduated at the time of the um, financial crisis. So I ended up getting laid off from my job in marketing. And then I did a bunch of soul searching. Okay, what is going to make you feel like you have a purpose and be meaningful? And I realized that kind of all the philanthropic efforts I had done, I felt really fulfilled me. So I went into social work, wanted to become a school social worker. When I graduated, there was a hiring freeze. So I ended up doing development for nonprofits, which was the last thing I wanted to be doing. Very unhappy in that. 
I'm now like one class away from also having a master's in uh, early childhood education because I thought, okay, well, if I can't work with kids with my social work degree, let me just add another one. It was during that time that I started my own journey to conceive and then went through that. And then after my daughter was born, I just really felt like this position needs to exist. So I just basically blindly emailed all of the big New York fertility clinics, like info at whatever hospital um, (laughs) and was like, you need this person on staff and this is why, and patients shouldn't get a bill for services. And it was just right time, right place. I ended up working at, um, and I'm still at RMA New York as the social worker. We have six clinics throughout the city. They just believed in in what I was pitching and they started me part-time. It quickly grew into full-time. And then from there I've launched my own career and you know, I'm a big believer in the universe. Um, I don't think life gives you what you can't handle. Certainly I didn't feel that way when I was in it. And then shortly after my daughter was born, I also got divorced and had to go through that whole thing. Um, so it was a very dark period of my life, but I emerged the other side and now feel so lucky. I get to share what I learned um, with my patients and bring that work into my work with other people and help them too. And their journey, both fertility and and life in general. I think it gives you such a unique perspective, Rena, coming at infertility, both from a personal situation and being able to truly empathize with people and what they're going through, but also from this professional lens as well, and really understanding a lot more about mental health than, you know, random people on Instagram trying to, you know, support each other, which is still important, but I think that just puts you in such a unique position as kind of being able to see both sides of it. I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I, I love that there we have this amazing, you know, TTC community and warriors and being in the community is certainly what got me through everything. And I, you know, send my patients to you at, at Fruitful all the time. You know, I think the connection is so important. My only caution is that, yes, I, I have a specific degree. I have specific training in therapy and mental health. I have a variety of certifications and have done, you know, years of work. And so I just... My only caution is that people who go out there and get sucked into people selling themselves as therapists or coaches on the internet, you know, you just want to be careful because I think that unfortunately, there's a lot of people looking to make money in this business in not the most ethical way um, and prey on people who want hope. And so you just have to be careful for people promising you things like work with me and and you'll get pregnant. Like no one can promise you that. I still feel like triggered when I see ads or different social media content that's like get pregnant naturally in six months. Like that marketing gimmicky, like try these herbs and cut out bread. Like, of course there are dietary things you can do to increase your chances, but I just, I find that so exploitive and Yeah, it's like one of the ugly parts of this kind of industry in this community for sure. Yeah, I I agree. It really bothers me, you know, and I always say to someone, a patient, you know, like, look, if there was a magic pill I could give you, I would obviously give it to you. Your doctor would obviously give it to you. You know, we would all give it to you. Nobody wants you to suffer. And you just have to be really careful. You know, what I can give you, though, is a way to have a better quality of life, a way to find your strength, a way to find your resilience, a way to find your power um, and get it back. Because so much of this process, I think, makes us feel stripped of our power, stripped of our control, guilt, shame, loneliness, isolation. 
And so, you know, it takes a village to get through this process and you need to build out your village. I think that's really important. Well, and going back to what you were saying too, Rena, about finding a full-time job at a clinic, like, I think that is such an important person for a clinic to have on staff. I mean, the emotional side of infertility, which we're going to talk about later in this episode, is so pervasive and it doesn't even matter how old you are, what your diagnosis is, like everyone struggles with the emotional components of infertility. So it's just wild to me that there aren't more clinics who are hiring for on-site, on-staff therapists and mental health experts. It just seems like such a no-brainer to me. I mean, you're preaching to the choir, right? I mean, (laughs) research shows that the stress levels for this are the same as AIDS, cancer, and heart disease. So they're extremely high. And I think a mental health professional is an integrative and critical part of the team to get, especially someone who has access to your care team. You know, I think this really is a collaborative approach and a lot of people have outside therapists, which is great, but it's harder for them, I think, to then work collaboratively with your team. Um, It's just the nature of the business. So yes, I, I absolutely think every clinic should have someone on staff, a part of the team who can look at charts, talk to doctors, talk to nurses, understand your case. You know, a big part of my work is communicating with the doctors and nurses and saying, okay, what's your take on this case? Because a lot of times people don't hear or they hear differently what a doctor is saying. You know, people get very scared. They get very overwhelmed. And so a lot of times I almost serve as sort of a liaison between the two and say, okay, I know you heard this, but let me explain to you now, you know, you're calm, you feel safe with me. And I'm able to explain to them, you know, exactly what's going on in their case in a way that feels they're like, oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't get it. You know, now I understand. Why do you think infertility specifically is so emotionally challenging for people to navigate? Like, what is it about the experience or our society or medical system that makes it such a traumatic, life-changing event? I'll break it down into a couple of bullet points. So one is, you know, as humans, it's, it's our biological and innate right to conceive. That's what we feel. We feel like that is our right to procreate. And if you actively choose to live child-free, as the terminology is child-free, you know, that's really different than wanting to conceive and then not being able to or needing medical assistance. So it's almost biblical in a sense and goes back to Adam and Eve. You know, why were they put on this earth to procreate? And not bringing any sort of religion into it, but just to say, like, it goes all the way back that far, right? And so when that is taken away from you, it's devastating, So that's the first thing. And a lot of times people, they don't even understand that. So they don't understand that that's loss number one. And that's a huge loss. You basically then layer on intangible loss after intangible loss after intangible loss. So what's an intangible loss? It's a loss that you can't see. So in our society, when somebody dies, you know, we have rituals, you know, you know, there's a shiva or a wake or a funeral, whatever the cultural and societal norms are. And you kind of know what to do. Okay, that's what I do. I send this, I go to that, whatever. And that's actually something that came up a lot during the pandemic is when, you know, everyone was isolating and couldn't go to funerals and people were, you know, dying and no one could go, you know, things were on Zoom or they couldn't go be with their loved ones. It was so, so difficult. And so with infertility, it's so much loss that you don't know how to grieve. Um, And a lot of times when people come to me and I explain this to them, they're like, oh, I didn't even know that's what I was experiencing. 
you know, and it's the loss of, again, both, you know, our biological and a right to conceive, then it's the loss of, okay, whatever your vision was, you know, most people say your vision is to grow up, get married, have children, you know, live in a house or an apartment or have this car or that car, like whatever your vision is. Most people's vision doesn't include being in a fertility clinic. So that is a huge loss. So whether you're there for one IUI or five IVFs or to be prescribed Clomid, it doesn't matter because it's still taking away that vision. Um, you know, maybe you had in your mind that you were going to surprise your partner and pee on a stick and present them with a positive pregnancy test, like whatever it was. Um, there's so much loss taken from us in this process of needing assistance um, and needing to to bring someone else into the room, if you will, to help us conceive. You know, it becomes not romantic at all, not surprising and joyful and all those things. It becomes clinical. It becomes a business. It becomes stressful. And um, that really sucks. And it's really hard to process all of that while you're also going through this and dealing with the physical ramifications, the emotional ramifications, and then also for most people, the financial ramifications. You know, no one wants to bring all that into conceiving a child. And, you know, as most people that are in this process or have been through it say, well, I never knew how hard it was to get pregnant until I actually started trying. You know, I spent my whole life trying not to get pregnant And then when I did, I couldn't. And, you know, I started finding out all these things about my body I never would have known. You know, it can cause a lot of stress and tension between partners. It brings up a lot of control issues, lots of control, feelings of guilt, shame, inadequacy, failure. You know, it's a lot of this is very stressful because you know, if you're, if you do everything the doctor says, you know, like you dot all the I's and cross all the T's like, okay, where's my gold star? You know, we're used to being positively reinforced. You know, we get stickers when we're younger, we get A's, you know, we get accepted to the college of our choice. We get job offers, whatever. There's no positive reinforcement in this until you get what you want, which is, you know, a a healthy live birth, but it's very, very Pavlovian in a way. It's a lot of Pavlovian negative reinforcement. And in normal life, if we were to stick our finger in a socket and we got electrocuted, we most likely wouldn't do it again. You know, maybe we do it one more time just to make absolute sure that it happened. You know, I would definitely be one of those people that stuck my finger in the socket just to make extra sure. (laughs) Um, Maybe I'd even do it three times just for good measure. But eventually I'd stop. But for this process, you can't. You can't stop. You know, if you want to have that child, you have to keep going. You have to keep being electrocuted. And it's so hard. When you talk about grief and loss, I think it's really important because a lot of people don't know that's what they're feeling. And even giving that name to it can be helpful. Do you think it's also speaking to the loss of identity, the loss of their relationship? Or like, can we talk more about like some of these other losses too? I mean, it obviously depends on the person, but I will say I have this conversation a lot, which is people go through this process and they think that they can be the same person they were before, that you can be the same, you know, operating at 110% person, you know, to say you described yourself in your former life as really happy, really positive, um, you know, someone who was always caring for others, go-getter, whatever. They think, okay, well, I'll, I'll tack on, you know, fertility treatment and I'll still be that person not the case, you know, and I always say, okay, say, you know, someone that was going through chemotherapy or radiation, you know, would you expect them to be the same person they were before? No, 
you would say, oh my gosh, that sounds so stressful. What can I do to help? And it would change them. And so to think that we can go through this process without changing is not accurate. So a lot of times I'll work with people and have them almost reintroduce themselves to who they are now and go through that exercise. And it doesn't mean that you won't return to who you were before. You know, this is situational, but it's about accepting, you know, acceptance is one of the five stages of grief. There's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And acceptance is a really important part of the process. So a lot of it is about accepting, okay, this is who I am now. This is where I'm at. Um, and learning to embrace that and honor it. And it's not forever, but it's right now. And it's also like, you know, let's take the pandemic, you know, to say that we're all going to get through this and be the same people we were before. It's not the case. Um, you know, we're all experiencing trauma. We're all going to have we're still studying what exactly the effects are going to be, but, you know, let's say levels of trauma, PTSD. And so to think that we are going to emerge from this being the same people that we were before is, is not true. And I think if you're able to take a step back from that too, you're, you at least are able to realize, well, you wouldn't want to, because what is human life? What is being a human if not evolving um, and growing and improving and working to better yourself? Does every single person go through all five stages of grief? And what do you do if you get stuck on one of them? I feel like I'm always stuck on anger. Like, I feel like I just park out in anger and resentment, and just like hang out there. How do you move through like one of the, the stages or all of them, really, if you find yourself stuck? First of all, the stages of anger, they're not linear. Or they're not cyclical, right? So it's not, you don't parse through them. No one goes through them in the exact same way. So you don't like graduate to the next level and then no. okay, I'm never going to feel, you know, depression again because now I've accepted it. No, it's, it's a constant back and forth. But I think, okay, so if you're saying, well, I'm stuck in anger, I'm always stuck in anger and resentment. That is something concrete to work on. And that's something it's really easy to carry around anger um, and resentment. So for that, I think it's, you know, a great exercise is to literally make a list make a list of your resentments. Who are you holding resentments towards? And it doesn't have to just be people. It can be companies. It can be. Oh, you know, just the universe, the world, (laughs) you know, the media, like these big, no one, there's no manager. I can't like call the manager and complain. No, but if you let, you're giving other people power or other things like the universe, you're giving that, you're letting it take your power if you are letting it keep you in a stage of anger and resentment, because anger and resentment, it doesn't serve you. It in no way serves you. It just brings you down. And so what you want to do is you want to hold your power. You want to take your power back. So you want to look through your resentments. Okay. Universe, I'm pissed at you. Why? Because you dealt us a global pandemic and it is, um, you know, column three over here is like, how is that threatening you? Okay. Well, maybe it's threatening your financial security. Maybe it's threatening your, relationship with your partner. Maybe it's threatening your um, happiness. Okay. Whatever it's affecting. Um, you know, you look at again, column A is who or what you're holding resentment against. Column B is what did they do to you? Column C is how is it affecting you? You want to make that list. You want to go through it and you want to talk to it. You know, you want to get through it. If it's a person that you want to have a talk with, like, listen, mom, I'm feeling really resentful towards you because when I was trying to conceive, I never told you 
but I found you really unsupportive. I found that I needed you to just tell me it was going to be okay and give me a hug and send me heart emojis every day. But instead, you just told me to relax and that it was my fault that I worked too hard and maybe I should just consider adopting. And I'm really pissed at you because I found that so unsupportive and I've been carrying around this resentment and anger and I really want to let it go because it's not serving me. So I wanted to just tell you and I just hope, you know, moving forward, if something else comes up, we can figure out a better way to communicate because I realize that this is really bringing me down. It's something I've been holding on to. And I don't want to be under this burden anymore. Dang. Good job. (laughs) We'll be right back. Is infertility stressing you the F out? The emotional toll of doctor's appointments, hormone injections, answering questions from nosy aunts about when you're going to have kids. It's a lot. And while there are a bunch of great communities, blogs, support groups, and other resources out there, sometimes you just want to talk to like one person. One person who actually gets what you're going through, shares your values, and possibly even your diagnosis. That's why we created Fruitful, a fertility mentorship service that connects people trying to grow their families with a mentor. Someone who's been where you've been, but is now on the other side and available to offer emotional support. To learn more about Fruitful or sign up, visit fruitfulfertility.org. Or check us out in the App Store or Google Play Store. Now back to the show. I think one of the other parts of infertility that can be so stressful is when you're not agreeing with your partner or when you're on different timetables or when there's some type of tension within the relationship. What are some warning signs that a marriage or relationship is maybe straining under the pressure of trying to conceive and what can couples do when they feel disconnected before things really spiral out of hand? So I think a big warning is when you feel really lonely. So if you're going through this with a partner, you know, a partner is 50-50, right? And so if you're going through this and you feel like, well, I just, I feel alone in this, you know, my partner's with me, we live together, whatever, but I feel really lonely. That's a big warning sign. I think a lot of times people don't know how to navigate it. Um, And so if you're a heterosexual couple and there's a man and a woman, only one person's body can be used to carry a child, right? So it's just, it has to be the woman. That's just biology. That's nature. She has to be the one doing the injections. She has to be the one, you know, carrying the child. That's biology. And so the man can't step in and say, okay, I'll take one for the team. Like you have the last cycle. I got this cycle. So a lot of times, you know, the woman can feel resentful or burnt out or that they're the one doing everything. And their partner is just masturbating in a cup to porn and having a great time. So a lot of times it's about communicating to your partner, because I see a lot that the the men often feel so helpless. You know, they're seeing someone they love go through this And they just feel like, I I don't know what to do. You know, I want to fix this for them. I want to make this better, but I just don't know what to do. So I think communication is really important. And there are ways to get your partner involved. So is it the, the partner who's not using their body? You know, maybe they're the ones calling the doctor or dealing with insurance, or they're the ones organizing all of the medications, you know, and setting a timer or an alarm and saying, okay, you know, it's time for this. I set it all up. You know, I'm going to be the one to to clean up and discard all the sharps, whatever. Um, There are a lot of ways to get the male partner involved or whoever 
whatever partner isn't using their body for it. And so I think that's a big one. You know, another one I think is sort of the 30 minute rule. You know, this process can feel really time consuming and it can feel like it's taking up your, you know, entire life and it's dominating everything. And you want to make sure that you don't let that happen. You want to make times. Okay. So every Sunday from eight to eight 30, we kind of talk about everything. Um, you know, we come with an agenda and talking points and then we have action plans for the week. And then you really want to try and steer clear of talking about it um, until those designated time periods. Um, because otherwise the stress and tension is going to permeate your relationship and you're going to associate with each other the stress and tension of this. And so you want to, again, that's why supports are really necessary because you want to let other people hold space for your feelings. It's not possible for one person to fulfill all of your needs. So if you think that, you know, that person is inevitably going to fail, they can't live up to that. So it's really important to let your partner be your partner, um, your therapist be your therapist, your friends be your friends, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you let different people in your life hold space for the different feelings and different things that you are navigating. You wrote a great blog post for Fruitful a couple weeks ago about kind of how to approach some of these challenges in relationships and especially dealing with your sex life. And you've written something that really resonated with me about how there are other ways to find intimacy if sex is feeling like really charged or too hard or complicated or there's too much pressure. Could you maybe talk a little bit more about that? And I'll link to that blog post in the show notes so people can reference it, but specifically about like what is intimacy and how can you kind of reclaim some of that when you're really not feeling it? This will strip all the fun and pleasure and romance out of your sex life. So that's number one. That is normal. So do not despair if that's happened to you. It's normal. This puts so much pressure on being intimate because it's no longer just about having fun and connecting. It's about a tangible. And so if you aren't getting what you want, if you're getting negative pregnancy tests each time, you're you're just feeling like a failure upon a failure. It puts so much stress and pressure. It's also not romantic to know that your doctor knows that you're being intimate or you have to do it at a certain time or you have to do it at a certain day um, and you're only doing it to try and procreate. Uh, it's too much pressure. And it can lead to, you know, a lot of problems, you know, whether it's, you know, erectile dysfunction or, you know, problems getting lubricated. It's all totally normal. So I think the first thing is to recognize that, understand it. It does not mean that for the rest of your life, you're going to have a bad sex life or that sex is dead between you and your partner. Um, no, it's it's because you're putting so much pressure on the situation. So I think a couple tips for that are one is you really want to designate sort of this sex for pleasure area in time and then a sex for procreation area in time. So if you, you know, have two bedrooms in your house, use different spaces. Um, you know, you really want to associate different things with, with each one. So, you know, maybe it's like a different set of sheets or blanket, different room when you're trying to just conceive different music, different time of day, whatever it is. And then if you're being intimate just for pleasure, you know, again, different sheets, candles, music, whatever. And it's also okay too, if you just can't be intimate right now for pleasure, take it off the table and just say, look, we can't right now. Right now, it's just not happening. What are other ways you can be intimate? There are so many other ways, you know, whether it's just sitting on the couch together, watching a movie, no phone, just sort of doing um, like sensory activities with each other and just sort of 
touch um, and getting to know each other's bodies in a way that's about touching each other and being physical, but isn't necessarily leading to sex um, is a really great one. Taking a bath together, whatever it is, um, there are a lot of ways to be intimate without um, having sex. And so I think it's a really important conversation to have. You know, it's okay to be upset and feel like what is happening you know this is stripping us of our intimacy and that's a really important part of a relationship you know it's what designates a relationship from a friendship and so to also have that taken away from you with this is is really difficult it's not forever it will it will come back how are some of these relationship challenges or conversations different for same-sex couples especially for two women who maybe they're trying to decide who is going to be the egg donor, who's going to carry the baby. Like, how does the dynamic change a little bit for same-sex couples? Well, you know, again, I think it's about, you know, being open and communicating um, because in a same-sex couple, let's say only one person is carrying a child, you know, it still leaves the same um, dynamic with one person is using their body and they're, you know, being the one doing the injections um, and all of that. And one person is sort of just, you know, over there sort of saying, like, you know, how am I involved in this? And I think that can even get a little bit more complicated if you're a same sex couple or if you're a hetero couple using a donor and one person's DNA or biology isn't involved. Um, I think that lends itself to a lot of feelings of okay, how do I, you know, really be a part of this process? You know, my, my biology or my DNA isn't even in here, you know, am I going to feel connected to the pregnancy? Am I going to feel connected to the child? What is my role here? So I think it's, you know, again, about honoring it and acknowledging it. That is a very vulnerable conversation um, to have. I want to talk a little bit about kind of coping tools and techniques, because I think, We know that this is so emotionally straining and we know that this is so challenging. And I want to talk a little bit about resources, tools, like what can people do? And especially a lot of type A people who go into this who are like, how can I hack this? How can I get through this? How can I deal with this? Like we want a list. We want to do's. I definitely want that. I'm like, what's my plan? What's my roadmap? How can I check off all the boxes and feel better? Which is just not how any of this works, unfortunately. But I think starting at the beginning, do you think fertility-specific social media communities and groups and stuff can help people feeling less alone, or do you think it can make things more challenging? I think that really depends on the person. So I always can tell if I'm meeting with a patient, I can always tell if they're going to be a good fit for saying, okay, let me tell you about you know, the groups out there or the social media, whatever, or I can tell if like, okay, you seem to be really anxious. So I do not want to send you into the groups because I think they're going to make you more anxious. So a lot of times I don't think patients are ready for a group. I think groups can tend to be scary if you're new to the process because you'll, you know, meet people that have been trying for a long period of time usually. So a lot of times I send them right to you to fruitful because it's, um, a one-on-one connection and upfront, you know, okay, this person has already gone through the process. So whatever their outcome was, if they had a child or if they chose to be child-free, whatever. So there's no surprise there. So I think that's a really great way to start. I think the social media can be great, but it can also be a lot of noise. Um, I love digital detoxes. I I think that's really important to take time to shut yourself off technology, take yourself out of social media 
because that's really when you're also going to sit with your feelings, which is the most important thing in self-growth and understanding yourself. Um, you know, it's very easy to distract ourselves um, and numb ourselves from our feelings. You know, that's just human nature. We don't want to feel the hard stuff. So we numb it, be it social media or whatever, having a glass of wine or whatever they're doing. But numbing yourself is just a Band-Aid. So if you really want to do the work, you know, it's about feeling it. How can people ask their support system to show up for them during treatments? Like, do you recommend people talk about what's going on with their support network? I do. Um, So research shows that most people don't. Research also shows that the people that do have a better time. But there's a caveat with that. So what I always advise is that you want to set people up for success. So I know that it is another tough pill to swallow because I'm going to give you something else that you have to do um, when it feels like, well, why can't people just do for me? I'm the one going through this. But it's really important that you give people action plans and you let them know what you need. So is it, hey, mom, I'm going to tell you something. And then I need you to constantly check in on me. You know, it'd be great if you could ask me every day how I'm feeling, or I'm going to tell you something, but I don't want you to ask me about it. If there's something to talk about, I'm going to bring it up but I just wanted to let you know what I'm going through. So I think it's really important that you set people up for success and you let them know how they can support you. That means that you also have to know yourself what you need. And that might change week to week. It might change day to day. So it's really important to keep checking in with yourself. Like, okay, this week I'm feeling really nervous. I really need my friends to rally around me. I need them to like, let's have a great group text message going, you know, where we're checking in on me or just a group message going where we're just talking about funny stuff, you know, or This week, I just really don't want to think about it. So I just need to sort of take a step back. So it's really important that you constantly check in with yourself and then you communicate with people what you need in terms of support. Yeah, I think that is so important. I think Brene Brown talks about how clarity is kindness. And instead of like trying to test the people in your support system or like make them guess, it's so much better to tell them what you need and tell them how they can show up because they want to help. They want to support you. And I think a lot of times people just don't know how and they feel overwhelmed. They're scared of saying the wrong thing and then they don't do anything, which can also be really bad. (laughs) Yes. I love, well, first off, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan and I love clarity as kindness. And I think I was totally that person who I was really, really angry when I was going through this for a lot of reasons, um, which could be a whole other podcast, but I was a really angry person. And so I was constantly testing people. I didn't, I wasn't consciously aware of it, but it was almost like I was setting up people to fail, you know, and set them up to just let me down and basically fulfill. I assume the worst and then they delivered the worst. And knowing what I know now, four years later, being on the other side of a lot, a lot of personal growth, studying, research, completely changing my life. I understand that I was basically manifesting that. And I feel like I manifested bad energy. I thought it was going to come and it did. So I do think you are in charge of manifesting positive energy. I think you get back what you put out. And I think that's in your power. And that I think goes back to, again, the concept of holding your power and taking it back. And when you're angry and when you are like testing people to fail, you're going to get that right back to you. How do you know it's time to talk to a therapist or a mental health professional? I mean, I think everyone going through this process should be required to see one. I think that, you know, if we did studies on 
people navigating this and if they ranked their experience like one to 10, you'd get much higher experience ratings if people went through it with a therapist by their side. Um, unfortunately, it's not a requirement and a lot of people don't know that either A, therapists that specialize in this are out there or B, they just can't bring themselves to make the call. So, I mean, I think the basic red flags, you know, would have to do with your biologic functioning. So are you seeing changes in your sleeping, eating, um, you can't get out of bed to do anything, you know, if you have decreased appetite, increased appetite, um, you're sleeping all the time, or you're not sleeping at all. Like those are biologic changes, which are big red flags for really a diagnosis for um, most likely clinical depression or anxiety. So that's, I mean, number one, you should definitely bring yourself to a therapist if you're experiencing any of those. Number two is, you know, and what I always say to people is you deserve to have a better quality of life. So if this is affecting your quality of life and you aren't feeling good, you don't deserve that. You deserve to get through this process with grace and dignity and get through this process in a way that empowers you. So I always just want to help people feel better. And people always say, oh my gosh, you know, I, I'm stressed and it's causing me infertility. No, you don't need to see a therapist because you're stressed and it's causing you to be infertile. Infertility causes stress. Stress does not cause infertility, but you as a person deserve to feel good and to get through this and feel better. Well, and don't wait till it's like so bad that you can barely function, right? I feel like it's so much easier before you fall all the way down the well. It's like if you can recognize like, huh, things are trending downwards. I don't feel like myself things. It's so much easier to like be more preventative than it is to be like in a complete crisis meltdown situation. Right, exactly. You don't need to be a victim. You know, you do not need to be a victim here. You can be strong. You know, I think seeking help is strong and right. You don't, it doesn't, you don't need to get to a point where you can no longer function to be like, okay, actually I'll accept help, you know, and before then just feel like, no, let me just stay strong. Let me just hang on. You don't need to do that. You know, that's not necessary. Last question, Rena. Do you have any other kind of tips or mental health advice for fertility warriors that you'd like to share? Anything that if you could tell them kind of like one thing, what you wish they'd know? I wish that people would know that they don't have to go through this alone and that what they're feeling is normal. You know, I think a lot of times people come to me and, you know, we go through sort of the intake and, and people always say, oh my gosh, like you, I, I didn't even realize this. And I think that infertility is the great equalizer. So you can have nothing in common with everyone else in the waiting room. But what you are feeling, those umbrella feelings of guilt, shame, isolation, fear, uncertainty, loss of control, I guarantee you everyone else in the room is feeling the same way. And so it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you um, less than. It makes you human, you know? And again, it's not human. It's not natural to need to conceive with the assistance of reproductive technology. That's not what we know to be our biology. It's amazing and incredible that we have the science that's out there. Without it, I wouldn't have my daughter who is, you know, the love of my life. But it wasn't natural. You know, I would describe myself as very type A, less so now that I've, you know, done all this work, I'm much more able to go with the flow. But man, it just sort of shook me to my core. I didn't understand how to cope with it. So I didn't cope very well. 
So I just, you know, say to everyone now, like, you're not alone. You do not need to suffer in silence. And, you know, one of my macro goals in this work is to really change the stigma so that people don't suffer in silence and that we can change the dialogue about infertility so that anyone understands what it is, what it means, the emotional ramifications. You know, 20 years ago, cancer was still the C word. It was whispered. You know, no one really knew what it was. Now there's months dedicated to cancer. There's walks. Like every, we get it. We understand it. And so I just wish the same for infertility. And I feel really blessed and grateful to work in a space and meet other people like you, Elise, who believe the same and and to meet other people who also want to change the stigma and who are brave enough to raise their voices, put themselves out there so that we can change the way society views us. You know, it's infertility is recognized as a disease by the World Health Organization. It's not a choice. We didn't choose this. It's what, you know, the hand we were dealt. And I think it would have been a lot easier to go through it if people, you know, understood what it meant and not just, you know, oh, why, like, why are you crying? Okay, you have to see a doctor to get pregnant. No big deal. It is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Thanks so much, Rena, for being here today and for sharing so many insights and helpful tips for those of us who are struggling emotionally. Really appreciate your work. If you want to learn more about Rena, you can visit her website at Rena, R-E-N-A-M-G-Fertility.com. She's also on Instagram. You can follow her at Rena MG underscore fertility. Thanks so much, Rena. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for everything you do. I love having Fruitful as a resource for patients. Um, it's incredible. Oh, stop. <laughs> In There Injected That is produced by Fruitful Fertility and hosted by myself, Elise Ash. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe to get updates, and visit our website at fruitfulfertility.org. Thanks for listening.